Great to have you here this morning. I hope you are excited now to hear God's word. As excited as you've been to worship him, as excited you've been hearing about connections around here, as excited you are to have t-shirts launched as well, um, now we get to open up God's word. And we get to see what it says to us. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 103. We've been going through a series, if you've been here at First Baptist for very long, through uh, Daniel. And um, I've been exploring his life. And uh, the Old Testament character uh, lived his life a number of years ago. And the big idea that we have pulled away from the book of Daniel, chapters 1 through 12, is that God wins. God rules, he is sovereign over all, he is bigger than anything that you are going through here today, anything that you are dealing with like temptations or trials, any health scares, any future fears, that God is still on the throne, God will always be on the throne, he is in charge, he is in control, amen? Amen. Amen. That is what we have been learning about for the last couple of weeks, or uh, months really. Where I want to take you today is to say that same God who was the God of Daniel, that same God who could use this entire earth as a footstool for his feet, that same God wants to know you. That same God wants to love you. That same God desires your worship and desires your love back to him. Just as he helped Daniel through temptations that he went through in Daniel chapter 1, as we talked about the food that he was put before him, that Daniel says, no, I will not defile my body and eat that. Just as he helped Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, escape the fiery furnace, just as God was honored by Daniel's prayers, where Scripture says that Daniel went back to his room, prayed three times a day, just as he has always done. That same God, as big and as enormous and as majestic as he is, wants to be in relationship with you. And that relationship is described in Psalm 103, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. Here's what it says. It'll be up on the screen. You can also follow along in your scriptures. Here's what it says. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And that word for fear is not a cowering type of fear. The word for fear is a reverent, honoring type of fear. It goes on to say in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are, what's the word there? We are what? Dust. Dust. I'm going to come back to that. We're going to pick up on that. For as, man, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place no one knows anymore, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. 
and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You know, September 23rd has kind of been on our calendar around here as our launch day because we know that God is doing some new things in us, through us, even here in this building as we gather here on out for 9.30 and 11.15 services over at the main sanctuary for the 8 o'clock service. Uh, and when I normally think of launching, I don't normally think of t-shirts, all right? I, I normally think of rockets. I, I think of satellites going up into the sky. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but over the summer months, our government established a sixth military um, uh, force in our world. So uh, you probably know the first five that have been in existence for a long time, right? We have the what? We have the army, we have the navy, we have the Air Force, and we have what? Marines. Now, there's one more that maybe gets lost out a little bit. It's the Coast Guard. Okay, you got the Coast Guard as well. What is the sixth defense, military defense, that has now been established? Anybody know? Space. Yeah, there's now a space force that is in existence that is to gain superiority in space as far as exploration but also defense of our country. In fact, NASA has launched a spacecraft just last month that will get seven times closer to the sun than any previous spacecraft has traveled. One NASA scientist called it a mission to touch the sun. The Parker Space Probe will actually cover 96% of the 93 million miles between here and the sun. So 96% of that, this probe is going to be flying into the sun. It will make 24 close approaches to the sun over the next seven years. And obviously, I think we on earth here are interested in our sun because we are so dependent upon our sun. But I don't know if you realized it or not, the sun is not that great of a star in the sky when it compares to all the others, okay? It's just an average kind of star, really. And yet, if you cut open the sun and pour earth into it, you'd have to put a million earths into the sun to be the size of, to fill up the entire sun's uh, radius and a globe of the sun. That, that's how small we are on earth compared to our sun. And so as scientists are exploring this, they're, they're blown away by this because, again, our sun is really not a very big one, um, but it's just a part of many other stars that are in space. And yet God's Word says in Psalm 147, verse 4, that God is the one who flings them all into space. He determines the number of the stars, and He gives all of them their what? Their, their names. That of all the stars that are in space, God knows each and every one of them. In fact, two Oxford scientists have recently come together and they've concluded um, that more than likely our planet, Earth, is the only populated planet in the cosmos. Now, I don't know that or not, but I know if you're part of an Oxford scientist, you're probably much smarter than I am, so I go along with that right now. And, and the conclusion that they drew on this as well 
is they said that it really points to clearly our status as creatures created by a creator. And they go on further to kind of scratch their heads a little bit and said, if life doesn't evolve by some random chance all over the universe, maybe it didn't evolve by random chance on this planet either. And they come to the conclusions of saying, if this universe is as big as we now think it is, where there are trillion billion stars in the skies, that... Um, Maybe they're not there by accident, and maybe there is a creator behind it, and just perchance, perhaps, perhaps that creator has put all that in space to blow our minds so that we might trust him with our little petty issues that we leave this church and go home with. Uh, amen, Willard, amen, amen. Yeah. That as we look at how big and how grand God is, in fact, as one of the scientists said, they said, I trust his omnipotence. He said, I, I equate it to this. If your father could build a massive mansion by himself, he can probably fix your leaky faucet. And some of you have some leaky faucets going on, don't you? We all do. We all have little issues that take place. And yet, if we can say, God, you are over everything that's in place. In fact, let me go back, fall back to Psalm 103. Let me read it again. Verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. David wrote this. You know what David did oftentimes? He went out on the mountainside watching his sheep. The sun would set. The stars would come out. He would look up at the heavens. He would say, God, look how big and grandiose you are. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Have you ever been out looking up at the stars and it feels like you're falling up? In Stockton, that probably doesn't happen a lot. We have a lot of light pollution that takes place here in the valley. But if you ever go up to the hills, the foothills, or even go up to Tahoe, or places where you can get kind of out of all the uh, light pollution, travel over even into Nevada, the places that aren't quite as populated, you can see the stars as they are meant to be seen. I remember one time leading a mission trip of young adults down to Mexico. And we, in the mission trip in the evening times, we go out and worship around a fire, and we just look up at the sky and uh, the stars were so clear, so clear that you could actually see satellites crossing the, the sky. You could see them. They looked like stars, but they were moving ever so slowly, which meant that they were man-made satellites that were thrown up into the skies. Uh, and yet, as you look at how big our heavens are, what the heavens are claiming is that God is even bigger. He is humongous. He is crazy, crazy big. In fact, Psalm uh, 19, verse 1 through 3, reads like this. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. If you read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, it shares about the same thing, that in the very nature that we see going on around us, God has revealed himself. And our really big universe reveals our really big God. See, scientists now look at this and say, with how big our universe is, if this is it, 
If this is all there is, it is a lot of wasted space. You look up the skies, you can see the stars, and they feel like they're very, very close together. They are not. They are millions and billions of miles apart from one another. In fact, it would be a little bit like if I took a grain of sand and I put it up here on the stage, I took another grain of sand, I put it over uh, up there, and I took another grain of sand and put it up top there. That's how far apart those stars really are in relation to one another. They're, they're, they're millions of miles apart. Yeah, if this was it, it would be wasted. But, but, hear this now. And this is what the psalmist is saying. If the universe's primary purpose is to show how big our God is, then it cannot possibly be too big for doing that. Our universe is like this big billboard shouting and showing God is big and we are really small. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, reads like this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the what? The earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, I was doing some yard work yesterday, and I thought, you know, how fun would that be if I could just speak it and all this yard work would get done, right? Like you could just speak it, and like lawn would be mowed, homework would be done, ironing would be finished, meals would be cooked, baby's diapers would be changed. Just saying it, just speaking it would just change things. And yet that's the way God was. God is God, and so he can operate in that way. And he just says the words, he speaks the words, and these light beams just fling into space. Now we know... Scientists will tell us that light travels at 186,000 miles per second, which is screaming fast. I would not have wanted to be there while those words are hurling from the mouth of God, sending that light into space. In fact, if you don't know how, how if you can't com- comprehend how maybe fast that is, when you go home today, get the fastest member in your family or maybe in your neighborhood, whatever it is, race them to the mailbox, all right? Give them like a, a, a head start, um, say go and count to 1,001, count 1,002, 1,003, and you just sit in your car and take your lights and turn them on and they will fly past that person who's running to that mailbox because light travels that fast. In fact, that is faster than some of you back out of your driveways in the morning going to work. That's how fast that is. That light just screams into space and God used light, just spoke it into place and light speed went into space. Look what the prophet Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? You get the imagery here of God just kind of scooping up the waters, the breath of his hand stretching across the skies. Is it he who sits above the circle of the earth and and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers? But you didn't think you were like a grasshopper when you walked in here today, did you? Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them like a tent to dwell in? Lift up your eyes, says Isaiah, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these. 
He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And God just spoke that into existence. That is how incredible he is. That is how big he is. That is how humongous of God we have. And that God is to be feared. That God is to be honored. That God is to be um, bowed before and worship and praise. If there's nothing else you get out from my message here today, it's that I want you to see how awesome our God is and how much we are not. We are just like a speck of dust. And yet, yet... With how big he is, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if you were the last one here on earth, if you were the only one here on earth, he would have come here to die for you. With how big of a God we have. It's interesting. Frederick Schuller says the universe is just one of God's thoughts. Let me share with you about the Milky Way galaxy. We happen to live in a little subdivision of the universe. This is a depiction of the Milky Way galaxy. It was actually taken from a camera in South Africa, which was the best uh, photograph that could be taken. Uh, not as much light pollution and all that type of thing. Um, the Milky Way galaxy, which we live in, is about 100,000 light years from side to side. Uh, a light year, just in case we haven't talked about that, is 5.88 trillion miles. Um, I have no idea how big that looks or feels, but smart scientists say that, so I'm going to follow along with that. Um, that's their measuring stick that they have. A thousand light years from side to side in this Milky Way um, galaxy. And scientists say that if you tried to count all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy, one per second, one, two, three, four, five, Six, seven, it would take you 2,500 years to count all the stars that are in the Milky Way galaxy. And God spoke those into play. Yeah, have fun with that when you go home tonight, right? Right? And God has called them all by name. He remembers that. I have two kids. I cannot always remember their names. God spoke it. And he knows them all by name. God is big and we are not. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. It says, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades with the breath of the earth blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. Now you are grasshoppers, you are also grass, all right? But the word of our God will stand forever. Forever. We're, we're just one galaxy in the midst of hundreds of billions other galaxies. Get this, if I could just explain this. Think about this for just a second. We know the earth. We live in a solar system, which is in the Milky Way galaxy. And outside of that is the universe. So in relationship to our solar system, understand this. In the Milky Way galaxy, our solar system is like a quarter in North America. 
You choose anywhere from Mexico, United States, all the way up to Canada and just take a quarter and place it down. That's how small we are. That's how big our solar system is in comparison to the Milky Way galaxy. It's, it's really, really mind-blowing. A number of years ago, Apollo 17 uh, was launched into uh, space uh, with the sole objective to take pictures. Here's one of the pictures. Many of us have seen this picture over and over again. came from Apollo 17. They called it the blue earth, kind of getting familiar with what the earth looks like, with the atmosphere around it and such. And, and the technology we have is just amazing. In 1976, the United States actually launched the Voyager spacecraft to photograph out the farthest planets that were known at the time. Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. And so Voyager would go out into space and would take these pictures um, in fact, I just researched it this week. Voyager is still going. It is still an active satellite, still traveling out. It's just harder for the messages to come back and forth. But Voyager was taking these pictures, and in 1990, after it had been traveling for 13 years, it reached the end of our solar system. And the scientists sent a message to Voyager and said, Hey, Voyager, turn around and see what you just passed. Take a picture of what you just went by over the past 13 years. And so Voyager kind of pivoted on its axis, turned back around, and took 60 pictures. All around as it turned back around to see all the planets that it had passed. Now, every image contained 640 pixels. So it takes these 60 images. Each of the images had 640,000 pixels. So it took five and a half hours for each pixel, just for one pixel, to come back to Earth as it is sent. And you think you have slow internet at your home, right? I mean, this thing took months. It literally took months for the pictures to come back. But once they did and they were put together, the scientists were stunned at what they found. Let me show you the picture. Here's a picture of what was sent back by Voyager. Yeah, it makes you kind of want to be on the front row today like, what? Am I missing it? I don't see it. Where is it? Where is it? Let me, let me show you just where it is. It's, it's, it's right here. Okay, blown up over here. It's this right here. Do you know what that is? That's Earth. That is us. The, the, the beams that are kind of cutting across here are just the sun's reflections off of the Voyager spacecraft. And in one of those beams of light, you can see this little Earth that's right here, which is you and me suspended in space, feeling very, very, very small right about now, right? This picture was taken 3.7 billion miles away from Earth, one of the farthest pictures that we have, and it showed we are just a speck of dust, just like the psalmist says here, that we are like a speck in the midst, uh, uh, dust in the midst of our galaxy. Milky Way galaxy, thousands of year, light years across, how big that space that we live in now is that we had no idea to comprehend decades ago. 
can make us feel pretty small. In fact, if you are feeling small right now, go to Isaiah chapter 40. It's on your outline as well. But here's what God's word says if you're kind of feeling small and insignificant. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So there's this imagery here of how big our God is and yet he's the one who comforts us. He's the one who cares for us. He's the shepherd that guides us along. Look at Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, says the psalmist, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And in the midst of that, God knows your name. And he loves you. And if you were the last person here on earth, or if you were the only person here on earth, he still would have sent his son Jesus to die for you. And what that tells me is that we are a significant insignificance. That's really what we are. A very significant insignificance. Now can you see why I wanted to share this message and share this thought with us? Because when we gain the biblical perspective of who we are as compared to God, then we can be reminded that the universe does not rotate around us. As much as we try and go home and create that, as much as we try and go to work and act like it does, that the universe does not revolve around us, but it is held together by God. And what God wants to do, God will do. And we need to have our rightful place in that, that in reflection to who we are, we're just a speck of dust that God has put significance on because he loves us. In 1990, NASA um, was finally uh, completing a dream that they had been attempting to do for 20 years. 20 years earlier, they had launched a powerful and versatile space telescope um, to orbit the Earth. It was called Hubble. And some of you recognize that name. Uh, It's actually the size of a tractor trailer. It was so big. Flew around the earth once every 96 minutes, taking pictures of the heavens and beaming them back to us at earth. Cost $1.5 billion to put up in the sky. Its main goal was to get out of the atmosphere because in our atmosphere, as I said, there's light pollution. There's other things that are taking place. There's pockets of gases and air that get in the way. Its main goal was to get out of our earth's atmosphere and then to send pictures back to Earth of what it was was taking. And, um, you know, when you're in the atmosphere, it's kind of like looking through a stained glass dirty window. It's hard to see through that. And so Hubble was able to get beyond that uh, and take pictures back to us, which, by the way, um, you know, kids, when your mom and dad sing to you, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, um, they're lying to you, okay? So the next time they sing that song to you, just say, Mommy, that's a lie, um, and tell them um, that's gases that are passing in the Earth's atmosphere, uh, and your mom will look back at you and say, quiet, boy, right? <laughs> but it is. Stars don't twinkle. They, they look like they do, but the gases that pass kind of create that illusion of them twinkling. Stars are burning very brightly. They're just that far away. 
And so this Hubble telescope would go up into um, space and it turn around and it would beam pictures back to our Earth. But in May of 1990, as scientists gathered around to see the first pictures that were coming back, they discovered that the pictures were very blurry. Hubble has one responsibility, see well, take a good picture, and it does not do it. And so what the scientists discovered was, as they went into this intense research mode, was that Hubble's primary optical component had been miscalibrated. Uh, In other words, Hubble was nearsighted and it needed glasses. No, no joke. That's really what they concluded. And so they said, what are we going to do? The thing is so far out there, we can't fix it. How do we? And one scientist spoke up. And he said, uh, maybe if we reproduce the lens that we created, even with the miscalculations, we could reverse the effect by putting it on the other end, which would then bring it into focus. So all the other nerdy scientists got together and said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's try it. Let's make it happen. And they did. They launched this thing back up into space. They got it out. They got out their solution, right? Put a little contact in like this, like, boop, popped it on there. And it fit. It worked. And they began to beam back these crystal clear images because now they had the right focus. And if there's nothing else you gain from here today, again, I want to reemphasize that gaining a biblical perspective of our right place with God is what I want you to understand and see. That yes, compared to God, we are small. We are insignificant, but we are a significant insignificance because God has elevated us, he has lifted us up, and he has said, even though you are that speck of dust, you are so mightily loved by me. In fact, if you have your Bibles, flip them back over to Psalm 103, and let me now read the first 10 verses of that. I skipped over the first 10 because I wanted you to be in a right perspective of seeing God for who he is and seeing us for who we're not. And look at what David now says, verses 1 through 10. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy Name When he would see the stars up, he would just think, God, I am blessing, praising you. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? The Lord works righteous and righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his work to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. In other words, what's he getting out there? He's saying, we we deserve the punishment for the sin that we do. We are dust. We are insignificant. And as insignificant are we, as we are, we think we're the center of the universe. And yet God is saying, no, you're not, but I'm going to help you come, be pulled aside, see my love for you, see my, as we would call it, a biblical perspective of how awesome you are in my eyes. And what that means for us is that God sent his son into this world to die for us. 
What that means for us is God emptied himself out. What that means for us is that as big of a God as we have, he has taken the million billion steps to approach you and say, I love you. I care for you. I'll die for you. See, what our disobedience has done is it's created a rift. It's created this idea that we're in charge, we're in control, we're in the center of the universe. And God says, no, no, you're not. But I know you can't correct that on your own. You need some help. And so God emptied himself out to become a baby. That baby grew to be a man. And that man, by the name of Jesus, went to the cross to die for our sins because he knew we could not save ourselves. And the step that we now need to take is to say, God, I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for being the center of my own universe. I am sorry for going opposed to your plan. God, I am sorry, and I admit that. And today I want to get a right relationship with you. That's what Pastor Daniel went through when he was just a high school student. He saw how significant God was and how insignificant he was. He saw that his sin got in the way of a relationship of, with God, and he said, let's get this right. That's what some of you need to do here today as well. See, as, as much as we hear this message, Satan is doing everything he can to kind of block it from getting into your mind. Because for some of you, you think, you know what, I'm not so bad. You know what, okay, I've done some things, but you know, I've done some things that are not quite so bad. And so if I just don't do the terrible, terrible sins, then God's going to forgive the little sins over here. And God says, nope, one sin is, is, is sinful. Others of you might be thinking, you know what, it's kind of like on a scale. If I do more good things than bad things and it wins out and I'll get into heaven because the more I, I've done outweighs the bad that I've done. And again, God says, nope, if you've done one wrong thing, it's gone against me, my love for you. Others of you here are, are probably even thinking, you know what, if God was to grade on a curve, I'd make it in, Right? Right, right? You, put, you put all the people in the world, you cut it right in half, you put half on this side, half on that side, you'd say, I think I'm probably good enough that I would make the cut. No, you won't, and no, will I either. The Bible says that it's only by acknowledging our sin, our selfishness, our deceit, that we enter into a relationship where God can say, my child, I love you and welcome in. I now can be in a relationship with you. And today, today is the day that some of you need to make that decision. Today is the day that some of you need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Just as God invaded history on a hillside in Bethlehem, when the angels announced that there's a child born in Bethlehem to the shepherds. Remember what the shepherds were doing at night? They were tending their sheep, and all they had to do was look up, and there they saw the message that Jesus was alive. Same message. Got to the wise men. In fact, let me end my message by going back to the book of Daniel. Remember we've talked about uh, Daniel and what he uh, uh, experienced, what he went through. Um, he, at the end of his life, became one of the, get this word, you might not recognize it, you might not have heard it before, but he became a magi in the land of Persia. Where else in the Bible do we hear the word magi? Tell me, where? Christmas. Yeah, Christmas time. Daniel was one of those magi. Now, he had already passed on centuries before. However, 
He knew the one true God. And the one true God had told him that in a number of years, I'm going to send someone to this world. In fact, look at the verse out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Here's what he said to Daniel. Daniel says, I saw visions in the night, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That's how Jesus referred to himself more often than anything else. And he came to the ancient of days and was predestined before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, Daniel knew that message, and Daniel shared it with his magi friends. And those magi took note, and those magi passed that message from century to century to century to century, uh, decade to decade to decade to decade, year to year to year, day to day, until it happened. And when it did happen, where were the magi looking as they saw something in the sky? They saw what up in the sky to guide them? A what? A star. The heavens declared... God's message. There's a baby born in Bethlehem coming for you. And the Magi loaded up and took off and worshiped this child. That same child grew to be a man, Jesus. That same child grew to love each and every one of us. And I know there are hundreds of you here today who would say, yes, I love that man, Jesus. I love my God who revealed himself, poured himself out through Jesus Christ. I see how big our universe is. Pastor Brad, you put me in check. Yep, my little petty issues, my things that I quibble about, my arguments that I have with my spouse, the things that my kids and I don't disagree with at work. Pastor Brad, yes, let me get back into focus. Good, because that's God's focus on you to say, let's keep the focus, the main focus, and that is that you have a God who loves you. You have a God who cares for you. He desires your worship. He desires your praise. And if today perhaps you're here and you would say, I've never known this God and I do not know his son Jesus, then perhaps today is the day where you can say yes. Today, the first day that we are in here of our launch services, you can look back one day and say, that was the day I said yes to Jesus. In fact, let's take care of that business right now. Let's not go any further. Let's take care of that right now. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an opportunity that we have now to say yes to you. I thank you for what this day represents. A day of launching, a day of doing things differently, a day when, God, we are going to continue to give you worship and give you praise no matter how that looks. God, whether it be in our main sanctuary, whether it be in our children's building, whether it be here in the new community center, Lord, we just want people to know you and to realize how big of a God you are, to realize how significant you are and we are not, to realize that even though we are insignificant, you have called us a significant insignificance because, Lord, you value us, you cherish us, you died for us. Folks, with every head bow, with every eye closed,
let me ask you a question. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, if you have said, yes, God, I realize I am that dust, I'm insignificant, I realize my sins have gotten in the way of you, I've prayed to receive forgiveness for that, and I've asked you to come into my life. If that is you, would you just slip up your hand just to acknowledge that, Pastor Brett, I've done that absolutely. I'm on board. I know where I'm headed. I'm one of God's children. Praise God. Hundreds of you. Some even have two hands up right now. Praise God. Okay, you can put your hands down. If today's the day that you would say, Pastor Brett, I've never done that before, but I'm ready to take that step. With every, again, every head bow, every eye closed. If you're ready to take that step, would you just lift your hand up right now? Make sure I see you. I'll be looking up and down every step, every seat, every section, every aisle. I see the hand up in the back. Praise God. Yep. Yep. Praise God. How many others? Yep. I see you up there. Yep. Over on the side. Praise God. Down here on the floor as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to miss one. God sees you. I want to see you as well. Though. I want to acknowledge you. Praise God. Praise God. Yep. Way up at the top. Absolutely. Praise God. I see you up there. God, thank you so much for these lives that represent now lives that are saying yes to you. Lives that are saying, God, we want to be in right relationship with you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross. Thank you that we celebrate who Jesus is. God, I thank you so much for First Baptist Church. I thank you for the years of history that have done, uh, gone by and elevated the name of Jesus and all that we have said and done. Lord, we don't care how we worship you and praise you. We just want to do it in spirit and in truth. I don't care what building we are in. We just want to be in reverence to you and honor of you. And God, I am humbled that your word can be spoken and lives can be changed just as it was for Pastor Daniel a number of years ago. Each of you who just prayed to receive the Lord, may you take those steps. May you continue to walk. In fact, after the service, I'd ask that you come find myself, find one of our pastors here, or come to our Next Step Center, the information booth we have out in the lobby area. We want to give you some information on how to take your next step in knowing Jesus and continuing to worship and love him. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this um, worship service that we can be worshiping of you. And even now, Lord, as we sing a last worship song and then go out into this world, Lord, may you be praised in all that we do and say because we realize compared to you we are nothing. But God, with your love in us, we are everything because of you. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we now pray. Amen.